वेलकम टू सेंटॉक द सेंटॉकस अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द नॉन मेन स्ट्रीम विल थिंक अबाउट द पॉपुलर एंड नॉट सो पॉपुलर स्ट्रीम्स दैट मेक अप द एक्सपीरियंस ऑफ बीइंग इन दिस वर्ल्ड व्हाट इज पॉपुलर व्हाट इज फ्रैगमेंटेड आर दीस रियल बाइनरीज is parallel cinema about a parallel world why are films made is the rejection of tradition itself formulaic how is hindi similar to english what role does language play in identity formation is expression itself socio politically bound can the mainstream be optional is the popular also always more powerful are dialects like tributaries flowing and mixing in time is parallel necessarily experimental and therefore risky what is the role of chance how do we dream and what is the likely future of the popular less popular dialectic and distinction We are pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today. Amrit Gangar, he is a film scholar, historian and curator. He was the consultant curator of National Museum of Indian Cinema. He lives and works in Mumbai. And Professor Rajesh Kumar, he teaches linguistics at IIT Madras. His primary interest is studying the structure of language. so uh rajesh will go to amrit but why don't we start with you in a place which is a little less uh central to this question of mainstream non mainstream and when we think of languages to be alive is to use language in some shape and form how natural is this distinction of what is core non core mainstream non mainstream how do you think of languages family of languages dialects uh what are their interrelationship with each other how do they interact and most importantly how do they live in time where would you come at this cluster of questions what is your take on it this question of uh, mainstream and non mainstream in the context of language reminds me two binaries in language standard and non standard mm-hmm. we often tend to create binaries we can't live without binaries we have to make binaries but when it comes to language it's really a fictitious distinction right in language reality is that we do have standard we may not like the term non standard but we mean that what do you mean by standard do you mean that in a technical sense uh that's a different question again but uh, standard means standardized language used in official used for official purposes but as much as we don't want to believe this distinction believe in this distinction we know that this is real this mm-hmm. exists mm-hmm. but technically speaking languages do not distinguish themselves between standard and non standard right and this is where we come in where we need to dispense away with the idea of the terms language and dialect 
Because the moment we use these two terms, language and dialect, we mean this binary. Language as and a standard. And you create a hierarchy of sorts. Language as a standard and dialect as non-standard. Right. Where this does not exist in the technical sense of the term language. So going back to the question about the binaries and uh, real or in the context of language, this is what I want to draw. And Rajesh, somewhat historically speaking, has this difference between dialects and languages, is this a somewhat more recent phenomenon as an object of study, as a way of articulating and distinguishing the two? Not really. As an object of a study, the recent thing in that is it has been paid attention to. Right. But this distinction has existed ever since human existence. Right. Or better to say, ever since humans started the sense of society, community, this rivalry, competition of more important and less important. Since then, this distinction of a standard and non-standard exists. The question of language and dialect exists. And obviously then that is reflected by sociopolitics and everything of course, else of, of the course, time. Of course. Sociopolitical aspects of language is one such thing which can never be subtracted from language. Language is a social entity. Right. Language is social reality. Language is something that defines humans. Language is what defines society. Try separating language out of human existence and society and start looking at it. Probably we will end up having nothing. I, I would still uh, take a position as strong as that, that without language, we have nothing. You mean as a constituent of identity, as when you say you have nothing? We mean we don't have society access. without language. Hmm. We don't have our existence without language. The question of identity comes after we exist. And when we exist, identity at the level of individuals or identity at the level of society, it is language which is the primary marker of human identity. And as a scientific matter, as a question of study, there are dialects that have over time grown to become more popular, more dominant, more widely spoken, more widely used, and so on. Yeah. Um, and there are others which progressively become less so. Is that something which you would treat as a controversial remark, or you think that's by and large factual? That's by and large factual. That's not a controversial remark. And one of the most common and popular example comes to our mind is not from our context, that's African-American vernacular English. Mm-hmm. There was a time when African-American vernacular English was completely looked down upon. Yeah. But when it started becoming popular, now you have music and shows in African-American vernacular English, and that still defines identity of a community. Very interesting. Amrit, what is mainstream and therefore independent, parallel? You know, there are many other words that I use in the context of cinema for you. Is there a distinction at all? Or would you, somewhat similar to Rajesh, say that it is somewhat synthetic? I think it almost, almost resonates what Rajesh's argument was about languages. I was trying to find the word mainstream in encyclopedias. Since I know English language, <laughs> I try to find from two or three different encyclopedias of cinema uh, whether this word is there. 
But there are many encyclopedias in Polish language, in Czech language, in Russian language, which I don't know. But I could not find the word mainstream. This is film encyclopedia? or just Film having... encyclopedia. Because this comes from, emerges from the uh, film, as we are talking about, the mainstream cinema, for example. Uh, I didn't find that word. Is it likely that the mainstream is defined by its opposites, which is independent? Uh, not really. There is nothing like independent. I personally believe. In fact, it's the other way around. You know, okay. Mainstream came first and it's um, mainly market-driven, I think, this this whole, whole notion of mainstream. That means there are other streams, which are minor streams, uh, sub-streams, or just uh, tributaries. Uh, tributaries and all that. But uh, mainstream, how do we define? What is mainstream? If I ask you this question, most of the pe- people fumble. They, they don't have clear-cut answer. Just be, wouldn't it be just more popular? What? How do you define popular? More widely watched, more widely followed. That will be one or two films. So quantitative, numerically. I, I, I just cite the example of 1975. There are three landmark films, three or four. One was Diwar, Shole, and Jai Santosima. Jai Santosima was a very in hierarchy of language, C-grade film or whatever you call it. It was watched by most people. And not only that, but uh, the way it was watched, by male and female both. I remember in Mumbai, there was a uh, male, so basically female-oriented, but males have started eating chana on Fridays. Right. Because that, that was... <laughs> and in, in Port of Mandvi town, where I know from Kach, small theater uh, near uh, Mandvi port, uh, this film was being shown. People had gone there with arti, with uh, incense and all that, sticks and matchboxes. And so this, this is a rebuttal of the point that this is not just about numbers. This is not the number. That's what popular. And how numbers. do you define that we, we produce in celluloid time? So it probably time. links back to the point of power that Rajesh spoke about very, very briefly. Now, how does, where does power emerge from? And where do opinions form? Where do they circulate? Exactly. Finally, it's box office which decides. Like in politics, who is the most popular leader? You decide by number of votes, right? Right. Now, there are many other issues. How was the election rigged? Was the election manipulated? There are other many issues which are to be examined or which was clear-cut majority of votes. That, right. That's the democratic principle of and majority. And that the, again, there are many underlying deeper very, questions. Many there. underlying uh, issues that need to be examined. So this, this is a very complex issue. How do you, how do you so define So is Jay Santoshima a mainstream film? Was it a mainstream film? It then? is not called as Sole or Divar. Right. We don't talk about um, Jai Santosima. Every morning when my wife and I go for in the park, every morning we listen to that song, even today, 75 to now, that song, which is quite reactionary and uh, regressive, we, we listen to that song. And there are many people who would listen to this song. What does it make? You know, this is kind of mythology. So is that because Jai Santoshima isn't as popular today as it was in 1975? Is that graph different compared to... Uh, I don't know about the film, the way it is watched today, but at at least I'm listening to those songs. And those songs are part of language. Right. Those words are loaded words. You know, they are socially... Uh, they carry some social history behind that. Right. Sometime in history, there was a barren woman who was not liked, and that barren woman, if at all she has to deliver a baby, has to be male. Putrahona. 
So this, all these are, are you cannot exclude that, as Rajesh was saying, from social. So history. is popularity a test for you? So what popularity is a test because even then, besides all this, people like this. So if you if you go by number, popularity is number, right? I think it's as simple but the, as that. But the box office collections were box much lower collection. than. Now box office collection. If you suppose we made about one thousand films a year. How they're, they're all we call commercial film, for example. We call commercial film, and they all all wanted to make money, make profit out of it. How many did they make? We haven't done that study, actually, the quantification study, and we don't know how many actually made money. So I come back to this, and this is called we call mainstream commercial cinema, basically, the intention and the results. So we have to really examine the intention. When I produce a film, commercial film, my intention was to sell it. My intention was to maximize the number of tickets sold, and that is where popular. And Amrit, if one takes a film history view of this, goes back fifty hundred years now, even in the silent movie era and so on. Yes. Was there an equivalent of the avant-garde movement, the parallel art movement? Avant-garde came of, later, actually, in in the vocabulary. It came from after, from after even literature and and um, fine art paintings. Right. But uh, this whole idea about uh, this uh, mainstream, I was thinking about. This whole art for art's sake. Uh, that also whole argument came later, but these arguments also have history. Right. So here the idea is, what is the best commercial film? What is the best art film? Suppose I'm, I'm making this binary. And are the barometers different? The best commercial film is the film which makes the maximum profit. Right. It has to be like, like that. The best art film is the one which takes the maximum risk. Maximum risk? Risk. risk. You take the risk. And actually. the eventual test is, again, commercial? or No, one, no, it's not commercial. Aesthetic, aesthetic. I, I'm, I'm giving the example of Cezanne, the painter, a right. French painter. When he had brushstroke on the canvas, he said, this is the risk to my life. You know, that kind of extreme sensitivity to his own art. So, to self, the asking question to self, how honest you are to yourself, how, what kind of integrity that you are developing with, with your art and yourself, the subject that you. So this is risk-taking in art itself, art practice. So this risk-taking is when it is maximum, that is the best art film, I will call it. And best commercial film is the film which makes the maximum profit. And we don't know the actually quantification. So the, this whole mainstream idea, which was created, I think, by, by the producers or the market forces, to actually create the, the, the stream which is not bothered about anything else. For example, when Manmohan Desai, this may be apocryphal story, but Manmohan Desai was watching Maya Darpan of Kumar Shani, he could not could not stand. He could not sit for more than five or ten minutes, and he got so restless. He broke the t television set. You know. <laughs> now, how, how do you? You call, call that it? an authentic reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and he he was a Sapnoka Sodagar. Yeah. He called himself Sapnoka Sodagar. But Manmohan mm -hmm. Desai was also probably in his own books taking risks. But he was experimenting with the audience rather than... That's what I, I think. The, he, they were experimenting with the audience. I gave you the example of Naj Takis. You know, Naj Takis had many offices there. 
and most of the distributors' offices. And if you listen to their conversation, it was all about ah, konsa star lega, uske saath konsa actress lena chahiye. All this, uh, this uh, permutation and combinations they were discussed. Ha, ye click hoga, you know, click hona. Box That's office. the whole market fit question. Is yeah. is there is there a parallel notion in the world of languages? Now, obviously, languages are meant to be expressive, but do languages break out in the manner in which now I know and understand that cinema is not language. One gets that, so one has to be careful about this. But this whole business of risk taking is there a parallel notion of that in the world of languages? Or languages are more adaptive beasts, and they are eventually utilitarian things and they do what they have to do no, in the no, world. No, not, not at all. In fact, the risk that we are talking about, that risk is also in the context of its commercial value. Right. Language does not have that risk. Be, and that is also because its language is organic to humans. Language, as I said earlier, language is a dynamic entity. It grows with humans. It dies with humans. The, it also grows the way we grow and it also dies the way we die. Uh, so that kind of risk is not definitely associated with language. However, the gradation is possible. The, the demand is possible. Uh, and what I mean by that is... What's the equivalent of the market That's what I was going, That's what I'm going to tell you. Uh, one Parallel that comes to mind, again, is how English has become the language of the world. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an analogy, not analogy, something to look at. English is the only language spoken in the world, which is in contact with all other languages spoken anywhere in the world. In other words, we do not know how many languages are spoken in the world. Even today, with all technology, you, today you try search for anything on online, you can find it. But there is no authentic source which will tell you total number of languages spoken in the world is this. Is that because the definition of a language itself is somewhat amorphous? Exactly. It's because dynamic thing. And right. uh, we, we don't even know how many languages... Who, who, like I said, you asked me a question. Which but language? English is somehow more adaptive and it's able to... That, that, now you are asking... Why English is so popular, quote-unquote, and so extensively used all over the world? Yes. There are multiple reasons for that. The first reason is demand. Hmm. The second reason is adaptability. And that has to do with interactions of several social groups and therefore the need for a common standard and things of that sort. Everything put together and more that we are not discussing. Which is? So, so for example, the spread of English-speaking people across the world. Right. We often want to look at it as British colonial empire. But that's oversimplification of the spread of English. We need to backtrack and think, could English not have been a dominant language in India if Britishers did not come to India? That's a worth contemplating question. My hunch is English would have been popular in India despite of that. Right. And, and I'm giving this argument to say that Associating a spread of English in India or in the world with a spread of British Empire is oversimplification of spread of language. I think North America is a good example North because England. all of Europe yeah. turned up at Plymouth and English is English is the dominant language there. So yeah. then the question is, languages create its own currency. 
and once it reaches that point there is no going back so the the question that you were asking a minute ago about a parallel between popular in the context of film it doesn't apply in the context of language once it becomes an acceptable uh, standard acceptable thing in the in the world it will not happen that english will become unpopular at some point in time right that's one can say based on how we see language functioning and and the function of language in the world that's because it embeds itself it's in... embedded in society it's embedded in people and that is the reason why a language like english is not a foreign language in a country like india in fact in bollywood the scripts are written in english <laughs> not hindi yeah or romanized roman yeah. writing you know in india there are 200 plus tribes which means 200 plus languages because those tribes and the names of their language as we were discussing about identity are the same they did not have a writing system that that is their language did not have writing system and they adapted roman writing system for their language they had a language but they didn't have a script a script because and the, and and that tells us something again very fascinating thing about language that we languages do not need a script yeah we need a script in a language only to write and and this is the reason why you take an example of any language in the world you will have people speaking the language but it's possible that speakers of the language may not know how to write that would it be fair to say that among a few others english was one of the first and early exploiters of print as a medium and did that have to do with spread and therefore its adaptation in many different contexts no not necessarily i mean one would want to believe it that way that uh, print, printing press emerged in europe and probably that helped popularizing english but not necessarily i can give you an example there is a very famous poet in maithili his name is vidyapati 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 film has been made on he is the contemporary of jeffrey chaucer which means 14th century yeah before shakespeare before shakespeare he, hundreds of years before shakespeare and things that he has written is popular even today a poem that he has written about ganga बर सुख सार पायव तु तीरे छरैत निकट नयन बहे नीरे राइट दिस इज अ प्रेयर ऑफ गंगा इट्स एज पॉपुलर एज एनीथिंग टुडे सो व्हाई अ लैंग्वेज कैन और कैन नॉट बिकम पॉपुलर इट्स वेरी डिफिकल्ट टू फाइंड वन और टू रीजंस फॉर दैट या बट प्रिंटिंग प्रेस और इमर्जेंस ऑफ प्रिंटिंग प्रेस मे नॉट बी द ओनली रीजन एंड अगेन आई वुड से दैट माइट again become a over simplification for this thing but this printing also brings us into the argument of mainstream literature yes and say pulp literature you are absolutely right so well, pulp literature and the classical literature you are absolutely right because hmm. printing gives us legitimacy and then we start believing and the generations after that start believing what is written is a standard we we even now have a joke about hindi it is only in the later half of the 20th century or in this 21st century first quarter of 21st century we have started accepting mixed hindi as a normal hindi there was a time and i will tell you that joke that is the hindi that was spoken on television nobody spoke that hindi <laughs> anywhere in the in, in in the society you mean it was somewhat sanskritized 
sanskritized is is a is is not the right term in my opinion oh, oh. i would say the joke was instead of listening uh, uh, there was a there, uh, always you will hear something like ab aap hindi mein samachar suniye the joke was so you can hear that hindi only in samachar so ab samachar mein hindi suniye who spoke that hindi on the on on the street it is a recent thing only that you have films or samachar or television or serials in that hindi now the point that i am trying to make is we are still far away from that hindi coming into print we still have printed literature in hindi or in english in what we call quote and quote standard so what printing press actually did was it helped legitimize standardization and people started believing that what is printed is a standard my question is, is there any any phenomenon called hindi language is there a language called hindi it is definitely there there which, is which part of india is being spoken that's, that's hindi that's a critical spoken. question there is no part in india which is known as hindi speaking area which part of india has hindi as the first language no part in india where hindi is spoken this, this as is first language no that that's the fascinating part it, it is and it's a fictitious concept exactly and, and, and let me be fair with hindi hindi as a language exists in india then it probably served the same purpose that english did uh, definitely it it has potential to serve that purpose only when it is recognized as a language of functioning because like gujarati as a language defines identity of gujaratis and bengali as a language defines identity of bengalis hindi as a language does not define identity of any part of the country in fact gujarati is uh, doesn't define I, I'm, i'm coming to that i'm coming to that so what happens is the way we see hindi today other dominant languages like gujarati in gujarat and marathi in maharashtra or tamil in tamil nadu are have same status because when we say gujarati gujarati is group of languages is 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 like an umbrella is gujarati one language amrit is gujarati one language or is that a region no it's multiple for example i come from kutch now kutch was made part district of gujarat when this linguistic basis uh, division of states took place 1961 and at that time kutch was a c class state <laughs> under the center so kutchi is on the border of sindh so it's very close to sindhi dokachi doesn't have a script as my my friend has developed a font and all that but had we ad- adopted sindhi script for example i personally think would have been better for example i i pronounce a word mong that mong 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 you can't write this you in, mean that in, pulse yes you can't write this in gujarati and otherwise your pronunciation phonetically the phonetics are important see language is a continuum we we can understand and see language on a, only on a continuum I and mean, i will tell you what i mean by that it is important for us to know what continuum is you see when when language we... lives in the real world on a continuum but the moment you capture it in print you have to discretize it exactly that is what is called process of standardization right so in the spoken there is no standardization is a spoken language let's take an example of bengali bengali spoken closer to the borders of assam is very different from bengali spoken uh, towards the borders of orissa and everywhere else in between right the same is true for odia 
Odia is spoken closer to the borders of Bengal is very different from Odia is spoken towards the closures to the borders Andhra. of uh, Andhra Pradesh and Telangana. And they are very different. So like Kachi... Is there something similar about the script? No, no, no. Not at all. No. Nothing is, similar about the written forms of Odia or the written forms so, of Odia. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming to that point. So it's the form of writing that discretizes the continuous. And it is writing that standardizes, write, the, standardizes the language and, and the printing. Because so, only writing can be printed. Now, as, as a theoretician, Rajesh, and as somebody who thinks about it structurally, uh, is that process entirely contingent and arbitrary? Or is there something about the nature of the language in the oral form which when it tends to get written down, ends up taking a certain form. Like, can you, a priori, when you know the oral spectrum, can you say a priori that after a set of processes that are going to be set in motion as a result of uh, this being committed to any script or any written form, will end up being this thing? Or is, 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 really. that, more, is that more a, more an apparatus, power apparatus, arbitrary issues at work, See, what happens? Orthography is an attempt to create symbols for capturing sounds that we speak. Right. To this extent, it is technical. So anybody who creates a script or when the script gets formed, often the effort is we should have symbol for every sound. Yeah. So that it becomes easier for writing. But not all scripts are phonetic. That, I, I'm coming to that. All languages are phonetic, for sure. Of course. But all scripts are not phonetic. What you mean when you say all scripts are not phonetic? All scripts have difficulties. Yes. Even the most, when people claim the most phonetic script, I can show you on paper, even the most phonetic scripts have difficulties. Of course. I mean, you won't be able to uh, pronounce the Icelandic words. Exactly. But the important part to understand is any language, can be written in any script. But slowly, when language and script coexist together, you get used to seeing a particular language in a particular script. And they like, collapse into each other. Like language becomes our identity, even a script becomes the identity of language. That's so interesting. A script becomes the identity of language. And therefore, even though you can write Marathi in Roman script, Okay, and technically speaking, if we start writing Marathi or let's say Tamil, you see, there is a very common phrase in Hindi. It's called Kala Akshar Bhais Barabar, <laughs> which means if I don't know what how to read what's written, then it doesn't mean yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. So if you travel to some place where things are written in the language and you can't read, then you don't understand what it is. Yeah. What I am trying to say is, let's say hypothetically speaking, we we take up a language. We take up a script, Roman script, and we accept it for all Indian languages. You think that will be acceptable to people of India? Absolutely not. That's a great point. Absolutely not. Nobody I have a question. Uh, this structure that you are talking about, structuralism, structuralism or deconstruction and all that, all these canons have come from Europe, oh, basically. Definitely. Mostly. Are there any our own canons? My, my struggle is to, to develop a vocabulary which is close to my own own conscience. For example, cinema prayog that I, I struggled to develop this whole thesis was uh, within this restlessness. Uh, do you have... So what canons? is cinema prayog? 
Amrit. The, we will come back to that. Sure, later. please. But yeah. my question was to this structure of language. Very, very, very quickly. But uh, we have any canons here in our own tradition of literature or philosophy, whatever, like Derrida or before that, many others, linguistics. We do. Does we need do, to be? for example. Amrit, does there need to be? No, no, it's important because uh, why this in cinema, most of the vocabulary has come from, from the West. In, in medicine, in medicine, most of the vocabulary has come from Greek. The, the point that you are trying to make is, see, the, true that the theoretical term and the theory of a structuralism got constructed in Europe. But even European structuralists, please look at the name itself. There has been sufficient documented literary evidence of the fact that the term structuralism addressing a social theory has come from the study of the structure of language. Saussure and others. Ferdinand de Saussure Saussure, and others. Sign and signifier. People who worked on construction of the social theory, they have also recognized and not just accepted, they understand this part very well. Now, going back to that question, we have sort of lost touch with our tradition. All that started in the ancient Indian literature and period, which we know today as Sanskrit grammarians. If you look at one specific piece of work that is called Ashtadhyayi by Panini. Panini, yes. And then the commentary on Ashtadhyayi by his students. I am not trying to compare Derrida with Patanjali Hmm. or somebody else with Panini. That it will be unfair comparison to both. But it did exist. But the irony is, we, I don't know how and when we lost touch with that. And today, more than the names of these people, we don't know much. So they've been lost as frameworks and tools. Yes. I mean, they've lost, much like language, yes. they've not been in use. Definitely. They've they not been used. People have stopped studying that. People stopped understanding that. It's very interesting. So, like I'm saying today, all we the best we know is uh, who was Panini. Yeah, I think mm. we know the names. We know just, it just at, a, at, mm. at a, other at a, than that. So his his text Ashtadhyayi is not the study of Sanskrit. It's the study of language. Language, language. absolutely. Yes. That's the point I'm making. Changing tracks a little bit, Amrit. If one talks of cinema. Um, and for a second, if you humor me, this mainstream parallel distinction, however artificial or synthetic it might be, what is the parallel parallel about? Is that the subject matter? Is that the treatment? Is that the aesthetics? Is that the grammar? Is that the way things are done? Is that just actors and the people involved being from two parallel universes? Uh, all, of, all of them. Where are they similar? Where are they different? All of them. Actually, this whole term, new wave, actually, it was called new wave when it started in 60s. Right. It came from France, basically, when they started the nouvelle vague movement. And was it like an act of resistance in some shape and form, or was it more it innocent had, than that? They, they imbibed or they accepted the canons of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like Godard and Truffaut, and the, for Truffaut, Hitchcock was the guru. Hitchcock was the model. So, but here is a... That was merely an adaptation into the French world? Yes, in a way. But the French word is more complicated. It's vague and not vogue. Nouvelle. New wave. So it came from journalists, actually. It's sure. not the filmmakers who created. Film Finance Corporation was started by Indira Gandhi to help 
these students who were coming out of Film Institute. It was called Film Institute of India first. Then it became Film and Television Institute of India. So when Film Institute people came out, graduated, technicians also, the mandate was that they will get into, absorbed into so-called mainstream film industry. And they will change the face of that industry because of their exposure to... their to, technical sophistication. Uh, also their exposure to world cinema, their, their technical know-how that they had acquired during their training, all that. But before that, we had other parallel, Gurudat, for example, or Bimal Roy, for example, or Satyajit Ray never went to film school, or Ritik Gatang never went to film school, Milan Sen never went to film school. That already existed. Or new new theatres film, like Vidyapati, for example. It had a lot of bearing on, on, on not only language, but also society and uh, all that. The question is, what is non-mainstream? Now, is it the subject matter? Is it the technique? Is, I know you just said everything. Uh, but were there, so for example, in the French context, when they were getting influenced by Hitchcock or Hollywood, were they were they copying those scripts? So and really I, I take the two examples of 1969. There were four films which were made to be called New Wave. One was Bhuvanshram, which generally said that it, it heralded the movement, New Wave movement or New Cinema movement. Right. In all sense, made in Hindi. Money Calls Uski Roti. Sara Akas by Basu Chatterjee and Kanku by Kantela Lathode, Gujarati film. They were all financed by Film Finance Corporation. Not much money. One lakh rupees, 1.25 um, lakh rupees. Um, Som came and it had the, I, I personally think, it had uh, in a way taken from Godard, the free shot and all that. Uh, it was only money called. Who made this very radical form of Uski Roti, Mohan Rakesh's uh, short story. Why, why I, I, I take this example? Because he got rid of theatricality of, from this film. Right. So, the making film as autonomous unit. Right. To, to offer it autonomous identity, uh, that was important. And that, I think, was parallel stream. Manikal never liked the word new wave. We said, I'm parallel to this, this because I'm not using those motifs for no, not using these this canons that commercial film is using. And That's, to use your earlier framework, uh, Amrit, this was a form of risk-taking. Exactly. This was the form of risk-taking because he was swimming against the current. And he didn't know whether they will like the film at all because it's completely new. There are no popular actors, big heroes. No. Uh, he changed the phase of the, even the cutting, editing pattern, the sound. Everything was completely different from the so-called mainstream of commercial cinema. He didn't borrow anything from that except Amrita Sergil's painting. They, they, they were part of that. In fact, it's so easy. When I, I delivered a lecture at Peking University, I argued that Uski Roti is not Durbodh. It's not inaccessible. It's the most accessible film. I gave the example of Dalits in Punjab, for example. They had uh, this uh, cobbler who was a saint, you know, they, that photograph on the wall. And if you sort of deconstruct Ravidas, is that photo? Nobody has talked about that photograph. <laughs> so if you look at that, you, you get to know about Punjabi Dalit community. Punjabi is gen we generalize. But when I said that the Chinese students and students understood this very easily. Right. So all this actually is a matter of how you interpret the work of art. 
or even language how example. was how was because it took the names of these four films yeah. how was uski roti received uski roti was not received uh, at that moment no it was not even released uh, right. i saw it in uh, opera house because all these films were being shown there in morning show but uski roti otherwise had no commercial release that bhuvan som had bhuvan som had all the all the you know it was easy to understand and uh, the, the utpal dat was the was there in the film and all that but otherwise uski roti was a great risk taking enterprise if i i may use this words it was great risk taking artistic occupation that money call had undertaken now money call is a great but are there instances where in a way the question is what gives birth to the new mainstream now are there occasions where people try or uh, new when money call joined oceans he became director general of the ocean film festival called cinemaya uh, earlier and he started a new section called new stream he didn't call it a mainstream or a new stream like filmmakers like anurag kashyap and uh, our vishal badwaj and all these filmmakers were part of that new stream he called it new stream so i think it's also a strategic battle when mm-hmm. you call one stream against another stream it is also a strategic it's a political it is part of politics politics of viewing politics of um, of reaching out to people what is post modern earlier we were not interested in certain kind of cinema even even the educated elites will not see certain films hindi films for example or gujaratis will not see gujarati films after post modern argument that so many people are watching this film how can you ignore it that was the basic i think uh, post modern argument then we started to have a look at this the scholarship of popular cinema came from the west the scholarship of reading sole as popular iconic film came from the west not our intellectuals never did that why because we were we were either um, overlooking this aspect or we were not interested in this because we were so to, looking to, down to summarize this yes. one part of it yes can we say going with the time and going with the wind as we say going with the current current we can call that mainstream but not all mainstream films are successful we are not measuring success okay going with the time making a film with the time in their style in their in their affiliation to certain tropes in their is market currents how market goes uh, for example there are various kinds of coffee right but certain coffee is being sold more than the other other brand of coffee why so everyone start to imitate that if amitabh bachchan is successful in certain kind of role the other filmmakers will get into that and give him the same kind of role because he is successful these are the parameters the industry works on is not even the time because time time we don't know time is the most fascinating phenomenon or space but it is proven for example a film this particular b actor has acted like the smuggler and is a great success so, so, so everybody me, start to imitate that so let me try one more time ji something that is taking risk against popular film making will that be called non mainstream which risk taking is very personal affairs very extremely deeply personal thing 
uh, even you are battling with yourself inside you know it's not against something or market otherwise they will be wasting time you know therefore middle roader came in the middle roader cinema uh, came because of this kind of argument because no, Amrit, they, you hmm. would know a, a very wide range of parallel filmmakers independent filmmakers and so on the big question is and again this these things are very difficult to generalize but very few people probably understand this better than you do they crave mainstream success now they may take risks they may follow their heart they may be auteurs under the auteur theory bracket and do what they want to do and be authentic to what they do but after that is done is mainstream success where let's say there's popularity uh, achieved do they crave it or they like they look down upon it now um, just as there are different kinds of people there are different kinds of directors i'm sure the answers are very I, many i don't think so because this uh, unfortunately cinema requires money investment right. unlike any <laughs> other form of art uh, unlike poetry, poetry. Right? Yeah. unlike poetry or painting that doesn't require now is all crores of rupees but at that time even few lakhs of rupees that investment whoever gives you the money he expects at least the break even so this worry of the film filmmaker that uh, he has to recover the cost so it's and a budgetary affair you work with budget money basically money. and therefore uh, sivram karant committee report the government of india was always struggling to find national ethos for india like country like india it's a multiple the way it thinks about cinema is multiple manner languages for example so they thought that sivram karant committee report had suggested to institute chalachitra academy like uh, uh, lalit kala academy yeah. like sahitya academy let there be chalachitra academy and chalachitra will academy will have certain corpus of fund given by the state and that from that corpus of fund filmmakers will be helped to whatever extent from various thing but that didn't happen except kerala no other state instituted or founded chalachitra academy in kerala it is still there they are publishing magazines they are conducting film festivals all under that umbrella of chalachitra academy as a, as a, as a non commercial non profit seeking somewhat they have also as theaters exhibition center so when they had problem nfdc how to reach out to people well we have the produced film but how to show them so they had created a chain of theaters Is who earned the money lalas the people who built this and the purpose or not shout do you think of the parallel non parallel distinction as high bro low bro we can we can think about that but i don't think is question of high bro or low bro the where did you put um, bimal roy or gurudat for example if i may ask you it's difficult where where do you place the art cinema the high bro or low bro no even among the commercial or mainstream film i can find very very interesting uh, films within within the way i look at cinema as such it's not question of whether it's successful at box office or not but i find it temporarily you know i personally believe that cinema is a not visual medium is temporal medium what do you mean by that i mean by that visual is obvious you are seeing with the eye is visual 
But temporal is how how uh, you experience time, how you how manipulate you experience time. time, how you cut the scene, record of time. Uh, it's not even how you record. cut the scene. It's, it's Your experience of time itself. Experience yeah. of time is like therefore you splice time. Uh, therefore, Andre Tarkovsky calls it sculpting in time. Time is given is very amorphous body of time. For example, I give you a time, and you put it on the potter's wheel, and you create a kind of uh, form pot, for example, the way Potter does that. But this time is uh, invisible. But space is more important space. Within that, you put time into it. And when you cut, you cut it temporarily, not visually. Therefore, you, you retain that scene. But when you cut temporarily, you won't do that. Whether it, it matches with, with your with your rhythm, yeah. that, that will be more important. Yeah. Uh, I think the, that that's how cinema differs from, and that's where it gets its identity. Uh, at a very tattva level, you know, tattvic. We call philosophy tattvagyan. It's a very in- interesting word for, for uh, better than philosophy, not better or whatever, but uh, tattva, going into that uh, essence, you know, I think is important. So uh, this is how I look at cinema. I, I've coined this word called philosophy. So th- this, uh, I think this gives you and their binaries will not exist. There will not be dvait and advait, you know. There will be advait, but uh, like abed akash, when he calls space is undivided. And most of our problems have a reason because of the we have divided space. We have divided space into profane and sacred. When we go to temple, we don't spit there. You know, it's the sacred space, and that happened because we have divided space. Because of division of space, wars happened. This is my. This is your space. This is my space. All that. So this is where I think even Vinobabave becomes important for me within the discourse of cinema. Sab bumi gopalki. Oh. You know, that's ex- extremely important for me in, in, in terms of cinema, cinema discourse. So this is how get, I get try and get everything together into cinema discourse uh, without creating any binaries. Because once you create binaries, your thoughts also get divided into What this. happens over time, Amrit? And what I mean by that is that we now have about 100 years of cinema to look back upon. And... Uh, have there been instances where something which may have been somewhat experimental at another point in time ends up becoming widely popular in the most conventional sense of the word in another era, several years later, several decades later? Uh, have, have you seen instances of that across cultures, across markets? Kismat, for example. But it's, time is also connected. I'm, I'm talking about real time, historical it, time. So whenever it gets released, it does not resonate at that point in time, but it resonates at another point in time with another with another base. Certain films were not even talked about. It happens in literature, for Nirala, for example. Nirala was considered Durbodh. But later on, it became even people started imitating him, when he, even when he was alive, you know, like Chaplin. They started imitating him, Chaplin, when he was there. He was looking at himself, is this not me, but somebody is acting like Chaplin. <laughs> so this happens when Kismet was, it ran for three years because it was the time of independence. When Hindustan ka gana hai, no? And that time it had that fervor of nationalistic movement. 
independence movement. So this also historical juncture becomes important. So when we talk about time, it's not time in that tattva sense. I'm, we are talking about historical time. Yeah. And historical time had the bearing on... The historical moment, the cultural moment, the zeitgeist, where it lives. Exactly. Surely at that time in 75 or Diwar, for example, why this dialogue, Mere Paas Ma Hai, become so national, nationally successful, a national icon, you know. Does that happen with language, Rajesh? I know you made this point that it's very difficult for something to be in news and then fall out of favor. Have there been instances at all of languages that have been very narrowly spoken, hardly in use? For, I, I don't think that would be the case, but I'm asking you as somebody who's obviously thought of this a lot more. And somehow, in a way, maybe that's what happened to English. Maybe having a very narrow use and currency to becoming this widely global phenomenon now. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, it has happened. I don't remember any example, but the phenomena is very familiar. Mm -hmm. Any language, when it becomes part of our functional domain, mm -hmm. chances of that language becoming more popular and more acceptable in the wider wider population is possible. Another use case. Use case. And it's purely based on how it is being used. What's the currency of that language, basically? And that is associated with power structure of the society. And therefore, one way to look at language is it's one of the most sophisticated product of human mind. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a social construct. Yeah. It can survive only in the society. And it's also dynamic. It's dynamic. It's never fully achieved. Never fully achieved. It's, there is no point where it is... It's fully realized and realized. frozen. Right. Frozen. And language cannot be frozen in time. It has to change. Which maybe is a good time to think about the future. So as one fast forwards this, how many ever years take your pick? 100, 200, 300 years... Is there is there something teleological about it? Is it going in a certain place? Is there is there no, an end that is, state? That is not possible to predict. That is not possible. What what will be the acquired structure of language hundred years down the line is not possible to predict. Given what you know of the world, hmm. what whatever you know of globalization, deglobalization, mixing of cultures, all the various technological developments, all the various cultural developments at work, given what you know of it, the sum total of what you know, mm. what is your instinct on on where, on this again, this mainstream, popular, non-popular axis? There will be mixing. Where is this headed? There will be mixing. 500 years out, is it quite likely that three languages are dominating the entire world? Maybe 2,000 years out, 10,000 years out, one language gets used by everybody perfectly... My, my hunch on that is, is quite... greater differentiation, lesser differentiation? It's quite contrary, quite, quite opposite of that. Instead of two or three languages becoming more dominant, my hunch is down the line, 100 years or 200 years, more and more languages will come at the same level. Would come at the same level. Same so level. there's a convergence of There sort. will be convergence. And uh, while at the same time there's natural language extinction... Because there were thousands of languages, right? Going back to the linguistic Correct. survey and so on. Correct. And obviously, many of them are dying out as smaller groups. Extinction will happen because people separate themselves from their own languages. And that will happen. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, if more and more people start using Hindi, languages like Bajiga or Maithili, 
which is your we'll, language. We'll go, to, <laughs> we'll go towards extinction. But what happens to this point of identity that you spoke about earlier in our conversation? There is, identity is also a dynamic thing. It, it so is, even it, that changes. It changes. It starts constructing, reconstructing, deconstructing. Identities do deconstruct as well. But I'm I'm saying it in a very different sense. And when we are talking about deconstruction of identity, it's not an immediate phenomenon. Yeah. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. It certainly takes several generations. Se- several generations, several decades, years. But aren't, at least leaning back on literary theory, art theory and things of that sort, aren't there also counter-movements when things like that start happening, where there's hyper-sterilization, hyper-convergence, everything going into one or two standards, others come back, some kind of revivalism? No. As I see, I see it in the opposite way, that more and more things will come at some level. So, for example, we can take from our context, that is India, Hindi and English. I feel more and more languages will come to this level. To the level of Hindi and English in India, in the Indian society. In the Indian society. At the same time, when we take it at the world scale, more and more languages will compete with English. Even now, we are talking about the questions that we often ask or we are asked, what are the five most popular languages of the world? This question will take you to that point. So it won't happen that one language will remain dominant. That That's possible that one language remains dominant. But only one and maybe two or three will survive and others will die. That will not happen when it comes to I, I was also thinking about cinema and language. Yeah. Uh, Eisenstein, Sergei Eisenstein from Russia, Russia. Uh, he developed that montage theory and his inspiration was ideogram from Japanese or Chinese language. They use the ideograms, right? Yeah. Uh, and through that juxtaposition, the kind of language, the mm-hmm. written language that mm-hmm. they use. And then he was inspired to create this uh, theory of montage, juxtaposing two scenes, for example, and then getting third meaning. Uh, how, how do you look at this, uh, this uh, process of language to cinema, the whole journey? That, that's very common in language also. It's, uh-huh. This is called the mixing. You will see what we call a juxtaposition. You mean a kind of code mixing? Code mixing, putting two things together. It's a very normal and natural process in language. I can also give you an example. There is nobody. And if you take anybody from the street as a normal person, normal speaker of any language, that person, if he or she is Marathi speaker, won't be able to speak Marathi without mixing it with any other language for more than two minutes. No, my point was different. My point was the ideogram, the, the alphabet itself, the, the yeah, main the words, for example. Mm-hmm. And Chinese and Japanese, the way they developed their own language, mm-hmm. Chinese mm-hmm. mainly, uh, it was quite different from, from what that's, we did. That's pictorial. Brahmi, Lipi and uh, Chinese. That, see, the, the development of Chinese and uh, Japanese writing system is pictorial. For sure. Yes. Pictorial. But development of all writing systems in this part of the world is not pictorial. It's phonetic and phonological. It's, it's, it's more scientific. Yes. And more towards the sounds. So see, what happens in pictorial is, you know. This is visual and. Uh, correct. Yeah. Correct. So see, what happens is, I'll give you an example. I use that in classes as well. So when we are asked the question or when we are taught, even today, if somebody asks you, do you remember A for apple? B for boy, all of a sudden, you are not thinking about the apple that you see in the store. You are thinking about apple the apple that was printed in that book. Yeah. Okay. 
that that comes to the, the first first picture that comes to our mind that's the that, referent that's the reference point so in the same way this was the reason why pictorial writing system came into existence but our writing system had a completely different uh, way of looking at which is called getting into scientific in terms of looking at its correspondence with sound system so our system is has been quite different and i don't know uh, what leads to this distinction so this is actually i i can i can listen to your sounds yes uh inherent sound the, the subtext you know it's about abida lakshana and vyanjana you know yeah. that that uh, kavya shastra kavya shastra is based on dhvani now this dhvani part is so interesting even in terms of looking at cinema for example what is vyanjana is gesture actually mm. Mm. this abida lakshana and vyanjana this uh, i think this kavya shastra of of uh, abhinav gupta for example and uh, even rasa siddhant for example is is so interesting that's what i was meaning when you mm-hmm. when I, i asked you about the canons or or uh, uh, models that we have our own tradition i think we we can develop certain canons for example cinema prayog is trying to do that the prayog uh, that uh, prayog for me as you asked me earlier is uh, is a progressive term pra is an engine and gati like pragati it, it's a forward movement forward motion the prayoga is the yoga is sandhi it's a forward sandhi which will include amagat so i'm not fond of using the word amagat which it comes from military as mm-hmm. i understand from mm-hmm. fr- french and therefore i avoid this word amagat which is and for you when you use the word prayog the resonance isn't experimental it's not actually it was i it, i know there's a motor force there because Yeah. but it's not experiment no it is not it actually is but it doesn't reject experiment as right. such because experiment the word which we have already imbibed for many years but the western very exclusive uh, term called experiment was material you know we we are much more than material uh, the abstra- the sense of abstraction that we have it's more more vyapak more more wide and and uh, i think it's is quite in in especially speaking and temporarily speaking it's quite different from what they did and therefore maya deren the, the very i will call her prayoga filmmaker from america for she goes to africa and studies voodoo and all all that you know this the magic and black magic whatever so they were also struggling inside so there is something beyond material beyond the celluloid or whatever so this is what our our sense of imbibing the world the reality we come back to realism for example we don't have the 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 problem of with realism at all with landre bazin wrote two books on cinema what is cinema and his main preoccupation was realism he thought the cinema is basically realistic museum but he was also struggling against that do you agree with that do you agree with this uh, notion not, of cinema not not really that therefore the prayoga is has come from all these struggles the thought struggle and trying to find out even the author theory for example he he was the one then andrew andrew saris in america he he, he carried it forward like there is only director who knows everything therefore he is author of cinema author of that particular film for example all these theories came later but what do you think of this as a as a discipline amrit ji cinema primarily does it via the camera which means that there's probably an element of capturing whatever is out there on the other side of the lens 
and therefore in that context what is abstraction for cinema how does abstraction abstract? is absence absence what is Ab not there mm. for example i'm shooting you it's real i know you are there but i'm also excluding many other things you know right we, nobody knows about that i know what i'm excluding so that exclusion is for me is abstraction that absence the absence is very important uplabdhi and unuplabdhi you know i get uplabdhi from you whatever i get but there is something which is unuplabdhi to my eye for example is is that what abstraction is how to do that chinese go out of the frame the painting and what is out of the frame of the canvas we don't know it's unknown therefore we have this mysticism <laughs> yeah. in a way in some way why don't we end with this what's the future where do you think it's all headed uh, let's not have the future let's not have the future <laughs> <laughs> open ended because we are all travelers into void we into the unknown and therefore otherwise there will be some some end destination we have to end that terminus we don't have the terminus so we will meet again good i think that's a good note to end this on then thanks to both of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you for coming thank you so much